Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Sarah McDooling. I'm very honoured to be talking today with the always wonderful Morris Gleitzman. Morris, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Sarah. Hello. Now, you are the author of so many beloved classic children's books. I'm going to just do a little like all-star lineup of some faves, but with from Two Weeks with the Queen, Sticky Beat, Bum Face, Toad Rage, Misery Guts, and a personal favourite of mine from childhood, Blabbermouth. And of course, the wildly popular and best-selling Felix series, which is what brings us here today. Um, at the time that we're recording this podcast, always the final book in the Felix series is actually due to be published tomorrow. Um, how does it feel to have this long-awaited book almost out there in the world? Well, a mixture of feelings because it's been long-awaited for me as well. I hadn't intended to take quite so long to finish it, but uh, in a way, I think it's fitting that what has been a long and um, wonderful writing journey for me across these seven books over the last 15 years, full of unexpected developments. The fact that um, there's not just one book was the first unexpected development. (laughs) And I certainly um, had never planned that it would be seven. Probably, I think by the time I'd written the fifth book, I I was thinking I I need an exit strategy here, not because I didn't want to spend the rest of my life writing about Felix, but because, of course, every story needs an ending. And while each of the seven books very much has their own individual endings, um, I've always seen, or since I realised that that this was becoming a saga rather than a single book, um, and as the length of the saga gradually increased, I came to realise that it constituted a story, a single story of Felix's life um, across the seven books. And I needed an ending for it because um, while it's lovely to have a series that's enjoyable and, and, and there's more to read, the real meaning of any story for us as individual readers can't come into being until until there is an ending. So after about book five, I decided, well, just how much more do I feel I need to write about Felix? And I knew um, I wanted to write a book about what brought him to Australia as a young post-World War II refugee, and that became maybe. And I also knew that I needed, or that I wanted, a final story for Felix towards the end of his life, one that would bring his life to quite a large degree, full circle, both physically in terms of taking him back to where we first met him in Eastern Europe and emotionally, more importantly, that 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 optimism and that hope for the future that has helped get Felix not only through the very difficult years of his childhood, but throughout the rest of his life, I wanted to finish on a on a sort of up note there for Felix, that um, I wanted him to have an experience and form a new friendship with a young person that would cement for him the notion that even when he's no longer around physically, that some of his hopes and dreams for the future of, of 
young people everywhere and our human society will be in other hands capable of of making some of those differences that we will depend on to for our for our um our human enterprise to to continue into the far far future and so that's the book that i've been working on for the last couple of years the book that is just about to be published and a book that i was both delighted and occasionally taken aback to discover had some surprises for me not just in the final form of the story but in the little journey or the two-year journey i went through to actually write it which involved writing more than one version of the book basically how many versions did you go through i wrote three and um they all had essentially the same story or the same dynamic for felix um those those elements that i i mentioned just now um those broad elements of what i was setting out to do remain the same why i wrote three versions was mostly um because of point of view the first version um was told to us as have been five of the previous six books in felix's voice in this story felix is 87 years old so the voice is both the same and different um it's still the felix we know but his his voice um now is is to some degree quite a, quite a large degree the product of his 87 years of experience and and um and i spent a, a lot of time um trying to decide how much of the the young felix that has always remained a part of him um can actually be expressed noticeably through through his voice and it's a tricky one because when you have a character who's 87 even if they very legitimately have never lost their younger self in their view of the world and in their life energy and in their sometimes even in, in their way of expressing themselves um because to be the very successful and contributive pediatric surgeon that felix has been through his adult life until his retirement um one can't only show the child side of oneself he's spent decades reassuring the families whose children he was going to do um often life-saving and and always life improving operations on you need to you know he needs to show that he's also a mature experienced professional adult so in having his voice tell us the story um now towards you know in his 87th year there was a a balance i needed or or quite a different ju- difficult juggle really really because the tricky thing is that if you have any sense that an 87 year old is is seeming a little more childish even momentarily than they might normally be our culture sadly for good reason has been conditioned to think oh i wonder if you know a bit of dementia might be creeping in here and i didn't oh. want that as a kind of confusing element because it certainly isn't the case for felix he's got 
he's got sort of an elderly bloke's physical challenges, but mentally still still um, totally unimpaired. So anyway, I wrote the first draft of the story from Felix's point of view, just entirely in his voice. And when and I did several drafts, and and then when I was um, really contemplating whether this should be the version that is published, I. I, I was I felt I'd got that balance with Felix's voice pretty well, but I was still left feeling that I wanted more of a presence of a child's voice in the story. And as I just explained, I couldn't give Felix more of that child's voice. Mm. The other very important character in the story, um, the all important character really, in terms of what this experience is able to to do for Felix is a 10 year old Eastern European boy with a Eastern European mother and an African father called Wasim. And I decided that I would rewrite the story in the second version with Wasim telling us the story that, that it would come to us entirely through his voice. And Well, I think I think it, it's it's a perfectly good version of the story, um, and certainly Penguin Random House were happy to publish that version of the story. And in some ways, I felt more comfortable with it because it felt as though it was continuing the tradition of of, of this series, in which every other book is told to us either, in the case of five of the previous books, in Felix's younger voice. Or in the case of now, the other story in which Felix is an elderly person, um, it's told to us by his um, 11 or so year old granddaughter, Zelda. Mm. And so it, um, it seemed right in some way that, that there'd be this young voice telling us the final book. But again, as I was sort of contemplating whether I would let it slip from my hands to the printer. Um, I, I couldn't shake the feeling that even though it felt right for the reasons I've just expressed, it didn't feel right that this final book in Felix's long journey, his long story should be told to us without his voice being there. His voice is in the story, of course, but it's his voice as brought to us through the voice of Wasim. And so I did, I ended up doing in a third version, the version that is the published book. What some might say um, that I should have, you know, I should have tweaked was the way to go two years earlier, but sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we need our time to find, to find, you know, the right place. I've written a story with Felix and um, Wasim sharing the, point of view and sharing the narration. So I split the story into 10 sections. Wasim tells us the first one, Felix the next. That involved a certain amount of structural um, alteration to, to make that device work. And also, um, in a way, it gave me the wonderful opportunity because I'd been living with this story for oh, 18 months by the time I started writing this final version new ideas had been coming up, new possibilities for the story. 
um, it's so fascinating when you change the point of view, even if it's a story that involves two characters who are side by side through most of the story, um, you change the point of view and other things start to change. And that happened certainly when I switched from Felix in the first version to Wasim in the second, but it happened again when I, when I switched to, to them sharing and, and us moving between them. Um, it actually introduces all sorts of fascinating dimensions because um, you sort of, once you've read the first three or four sections, you've picked up that this is going to be the rhythm of the book. So then if it's a section that's being brought to us by Felix, um, we can, we can be wondering, you know, how is Wasim really feeling about this in ways that perhaps he doesn't want to express to Felix for whatever reason at this moment. And, and although we never backtrack, um, jumping from one, one point of view to the other is always carrying us forward. If, <clears throat> excuse me, if, if a particular in incident that we've experienced through Felix's, eyes and his voice and therefore we've we've had much more of a sense of what's going on inside Felix during that time if it's been a particularly significant one for Wasim when we next join Wasim without as I say actually backtracking in the plot it's very likely that there'll be some indication as to how that incident really affected Wasim inside as well even though he may not have wanted perhaps to express it externally fully so um, yeah, a long and somewhat um, winding journey, but uh, <laughs> but um, I'm I feel very grateful that um, everybody else involved in this process, um, my publishers and um, the characters in the story, all um, showed me the patience that I, I needed to be able to get to where it is now. I think this is absolutely the book that that I was striving for and um and so to um answer your question and um i'm suddenly realizing that uh, you've only actually asked me one question so um, yeah but this is fantastic you've also answered a few others that i had up my <laughs> oh, sleeve good, good. <laughs> um i feel relieved um i feel grateful as i've just said that i've been able to have the time and space to to finally arrive at the the version of this final story that I wanted to tell. I'm, I'm excited that um, people can very soon um, be able to share it. I'm a bit nervous because I know a huge privilege I have as a writer is that I've written this series and it's been widely read. So there was wide expectation, particularly as the month ticked by and the previously announced publishing date was sort of moved moved we moved beyond it and that happened about three times so the expectation and the anticipation um has remained i think but you know perhaps with with slightly strained patience on the part of some of some of my readers particularly younger readers for whom you know a week can feel like a lifetime so that they've really had to wait about 18 months longer um, you know, some of them are now married and have got kids of their own. They've got no time to be <laughs> reading books anymore. So, uh, um, and yeah, it, it, I mean, if ever there's a, a definition of mixed feelings, it's to be an author who is lucky enough to have people kind of hanging out for the next book, but who also, of course, 
through reading that if they read the previous six books have amassed, I'm sure, a whole range of hopes and expectations and needs and desires as to what is going to happen in the final book, at least emotionally. And, um, and you, you know, you can never be so experienced as a writer that you don't feel the odd prickle of anxiety as to whether you have met those anxiety, those, um, those expectations and anticipations, or, or if you haven't, that you've, that, that, that you've provided something, a substitute that's going to ultimately satisfy readers as much. We shall see. It is so true what you say, that there are just generations of fans of this series and every person I've spoken to, whether a child or an adult familiar with the series is just so excited for this final book. And it's definitely, definitely the final book or is, do you, I mean, I mean, I know you mentioned when you started the series, you never envisioned seven books. Is no, it- that's right. The, um, it, I've never been known in my life to say definitely, definitely about, uh, <laughs> about, about the future. This is very much a, the, the strong intention of me, the author, and indeed of um, Penguin Random House, the publisher, um, is that this is the end of Felix's journey. Um, uh-huh. And it's, it's um, and I certainly have no active plans at all to be writing any more books. However, um, I, I've seen how people normally, you know, people of integrity whose word can be trusted, people like John Farnham, for example, who uh, said, this is definitely my farewell concert. I think um, (laughs) there there have been some others. Um, We're all human. And when, you know, when, when John came back for his third or fourth, definitely farewell concert, we, we were happy and, and, and we understood because he and, and, and others like him are, you know, we're all human. Um, but at the same time, I think, um, yeah, I, I think it's good to be able to give some, some guidance and indication um, to readers that um, I would like people to read, to, to, to read this for, for what it is, the, the end of Felix's um, long journey, his long story. Yes. What I can say is that if ever circumstances in terms of my thinking about all this changed no plans and no assumption that it will but if ever ever it did i i i would certainly um i can't imagine that that i would want to do anything other than write another story about the younger felix but quite how that would fit into the scheme of things i'm not sure plus um i have to say that uh, over the the long two years of writing this book i've amassed in a sort of airport holding pattern it sort of feels like about six other books that i'm very keen and committed to writing so um oh wow so so and and you know i've got to be fair i've delayed um i've delayed them all um by taking so long to to finish always that um that i i think i have responsibility to get them all written and that's going to take, you know, at least four years um, to get them all written before I even thought about um, being tempted back into, into Felix's 
early life. But as I say, I shouldn't even be saying this, you see, because I'm raising what very likely will be false hopes. Um, so uh, um, particularly as um, I've had a few chronological issues with this story already in that not knowing there would be seven, I, I when I realized that I couldn't fit everything into the first book that I wanted to write about in terms of both Felix's experience and that time and place in our history. Um, and so there was a second book um, then. And there's something that happens towards the end of then that is so huge in Felix's life. I couldn't shake the desire to find out or to at least explore what, how that um, along with the rest of his, his, his childhood in the war would affect the rest of his life. So I ended up writing a third book with him as an 80 year old, the one told to us by his um, granddaughter, Zelda, the, yeah. the other Zelda. Um, and I really thought that was going to be it. That's a trilogy that felt right. And, and it was, um, it was really Felix in my imagination, you know, just not letting me sleep that, um, that, that brought me back to to write the three books that follow then in his younger years soon uh, after soon and maybe um which you know which brought me to the very necessary ending um i guess that might happen again um <laughs> but um but anyway i uh, but the tricky thing of course the tricky thing, it, sorry, that was, um, that was, I think that was the universe actually telling me that I should not be. You shouldn't make any promises. <laughs> because that was a, that was a picture that I have propped up um, rather than hung propped on the wall. I've got it propped up on my desk against the wall. And amazingly, it just slid, slid into a sort of um, horizontal position. Yes, I think there's um, a message there that, um, that I'll have to. I think I understand so, that you're saying it's it's def, it's the end as you perceive it. This is written as a conclusion, but never say never, and you never know what story might come to you down the line. But no promises. Well, it will. That's right. <laughs> no promises. Absolutely. <laughs> I think that's nice. I think all the best stories there are kind of keep living on after the last page, and when well, you've written a story like that, it's always open to revisit. It is, it is. And, and, um, no, you've, that's, that's well said. I, I, I've always valued hugely the notion, um, that even when a story is in, in sort of dramatic and structural senses fully concluded, it's, if it's, if it's been a, a book worth reading, it lives on in our, in our minds in all mm. sorts of ways. And, um, and I've, I've, there have been times when I haven't want to fully conclude an individual book where, where I've wanted to leave it a little open-ended, never totally so, but to a degree, partly because um, I like to write about the biggest problems in the lives of, of my young characters. And some of them are so big that they don't really, to try and find a total solution to make a, you know, the, the, the archetypal happy ending um, is just not credible, really. Um, I think it's a disservice to young readers to kind of pretend that 
you know, every problem can be neatly wrapped up and, and everyone's happy ever after. Um, I, I equally, I, I've never been interested in writing stories which leave a young character feeling worse about themselves and their world at the end of a story than they did at the beginning. So um, the whole point of a story really, no matter how real it's being about the nature of some of the problems we, we face as individuals or families or you know, as a global community, um, I think it's important to be real about them, but not sort of bleak and hopeless because there's plenty of other aspects of life that can reflect a bit of bleakness and hopelessness yes. <laughs> if we care to look. But stories have the capacity to be both honest and, and even a bit fearless about, you know, the very tough aspects of life that none of us are going to totally avoid, no matter how privileged and lucky we are. Mm. Um, so to find a balance, the stories are able to, to, to show that side, but also show at least the potential for all of us to to have the best parts of us and the best parts of our hopes and dreams um you know contribute in a really wonderful way to our lives um and that's been my my approach to stories from the very beginning but it has meant that sometimes um I've got characters who, who've got problems in their lives that will probably never be solved. And what I hope such a story does between the first page and the last is to show, allow readers to share the fact that these characters, even as they struggle to make those problems at least a bit better and don't give up, are themselves as a result of that struggle um, developing in all sorts of interesting and useful um, ways, which is what I think, I think that's the way that, that problems contribute to our lives. Obviously, real life is tragically full of, of not full of, but there are plenty of individuals, and certainly if you're looking at wartime, this is the case, mm -hmm. in, individuals for whom the problems that they've had to face have just been too big and too destructive and they haven't survived but the potential is always there for us to, us to survive and to flourish even though we do have problems in our lives that in some cases will always be there and um i found the two years recently i spent as children's laureate and i had to do a lot of talking as much as I could actually to adults to to remind them just how important beyond entertainment and and the the very valuable escapist opportunities mm. how for young readers their stories have the capacity to to give them some really important um experiences that alongside the young characters in these stories give give young readers without them being consciously aware of it the opportunity to to traverse some physical landscapes in their imaginations and to traverse some some um some cognitive and emotional landscapes that are actually helping them move in a in a developmental way 
to a, to levels of, of of achievement and ability that it's I believe it's likely they wouldn't have achieved if they weren't including in their life experience a regular diet of of stories that are about challenging experiences but that also show that um, we can particularly if we work together we can we can get through these challenges and come out the other end as the sort of people that we'd like to be and that you know our parents hope will be not necessarily synonymous um i have to also add <laughs> that was that was beautifully said and morris you have this uncanny ability to answer my questions before i ask them <laughs> um, i wanted you, you you've mostly answered this but i wanted to ask why it is you think this series resonates with so many children what it is about felix's story you've so wonderfully sort of laid out how it was for you writing it you know beginning it as a standalone and then and then realizing no it's going to be a trilogy and now here we are with book seven you're drawn to this character as the creator of the character but readers um as well are so drawn to felix and, and why do you think that is when i set out to to write the story that has eventually led to this series um, but which initially became the book once i set out at first thinking not about war but about friendship and it was only when i when i really had a look at some other friendship stories and and thought about friendship in my own life and in the lives of people i knew well that i started to become interested in the notion of of exploring friendship in terms of just how strong and sustaining it could be regardless of the circumstances and i and i chanced one day on the notion that that i would create the best possible friendship i could between two young people and then i would place those 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 two young people and their friendship slap bang in the middle of some of the most unfriendly human behavior on a very large scale that I could I could sort of countenance and that of course immediately made me think about war and and I think as I said before I I would never set out to write about something without trying to be honest and real about it um, but always in in terms of the of the terrible events the atrocities sometimes and the and the for I know many younger readers in this particular series, there are many moments um, through particularly the earlier books where um, young readers who perhaps haven't done a lot of that history of, 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 of that sort of period at school can find it really quite confronting and even dismaying for a while that just to, just to discover that people are capable of doing this sort of stuff. But it, but what I think has made that, um, has made those young readers want to continue turning the pages is that it's always done in the context of, in, in one sense, the, the more terrible were, were some of the threats and, and the experiences that Felix and Zelda and the other young characters had to go through, um, that to the extent that they were surviving, not all of them all of the time, of course, because that was another truth that I couldn't allow myself to evade but um, 
for Felix, certainly, he does survive. And to me, it was as important that he survive emotionally and psychically um, and in terms of his capacity for optimism and, and, and the creative thinking that drives that. Um, it, it, yeah, it was as important for me that, that he, he come out of this capable of having a fulfilling and, and contributive and loving life, which is indeed what has happened to him. Um, but that was as important as his physical survival. And that was quite a big ask because not everybody who goes through the sort of experiences that Felix does as a child has things turn out that well. Also, of course, what I did know was that Felix would always have sadness and he would always have regrets and he might always have some, some guilt at being somebody who survived in a, in a context where so many didn't. Mm. And so his continuing journey is that it, he discovers, and, and through sharing this with him, I guess we discover, or are perhaps just reminded, that we can have some significant strands of sadness and, and other um, you know, darker um, feelings that are a part of what we carry through our lives, but that doesn't. It doesn't have to be either or. It doesn't have to be black and white. That that there is still always the potential that we can be deeply happy, at least some of the time, and fulfilled, and that we can be capable of giving and receiving love, even if um, you know we are in some ways um, having to live with with some of the opposite of that. All, all things that, that fiction, I think, are so well equipped to to remind us about because we can, you know, we, we really have, we have the opportunity in fiction um, to go inside other individuals in a way that we never really can in life. And um, other than to go inside ourselves. So I guess in a way, even though we love our stories to be full of characters that are different from us in all sorts of interesting and intriguing and sometimes aspirational ways, particularly for younger readers, we also, um, we kind of know that in a sense, what we also want is to find ourselves inside um, each of these other characters. So it's that, you know, it's that beguiling mixture of, of, something that's very different to us but at the same time always things that that we feel is true of us as well so so we um yeah and 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 it's just exactly the same for a writer as well um and it um you know when when i'm asked you know where do i get my characters from um and i say well i get them mostly from my imagination and occasionally i then recognize bits of of individuals that I know or know of in in the real world and but that I also know that every single character um, I've ever written is partly me mm. and I know sometimes I see in people's eyes in the questioner's eyes that that maybe sounds a little bit sort of egocentric but it's actually <laughs> just it's it's reflecting 
the reality of not only how writing works, but also of how reading works. Because readers, I think, think whether they would say it or not, yeah. it's yeah, it's it's just as true that that if we want to keep turning the page and we because we care enough about characters to want to do that, it's because to a degree they have become us and we have become yeah. them. Yeah. Oh, Morris Gleitzman, I could actually listen to you talking about Felix and about stories in general for hours, but we have kind of run short on time, so we have to start wrapping it up, but it has been such an absolute pleasure chatting to you today. Um, thank you so much for the time you've given us on this, the eve of such a momentous publication day. Um, well, Sorry. Well, that is, I, I was going to leap in and say that it is my pleasure and thank you for your time. And, um, and you know, you, you are quite, I know this is not actually your day job. You do a, a, an incredibly important, um, um, well, collection of things at, um, at Booktopia and for which I and other authors for young people are deeply grateful. But the fact that you... It turns out you're one of those rare interviewers who only need ask half a dozen questions, but they are so uh, they are so perfectly judged and you know expressed with a voice that is unmistakably the voice of a passionate reader as well as um, a, a an exemplary book industry professional. Um, oh my gosh! Look, you're making you me know, laugh. One question, and you know, I was just sort of rabbiting on for what um, felt like a delightfully long amount of time so thank you very much it um you know some interviewers i don't know there's just something about them you only ever want to give them single word answers but not you <laughs> so thank you oh, i'm 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 absolutely honored and um i have to say it's not it's not always that we have a guest on that's so well spoken so that so few questions are needed um you really were if uh, after the podcast, I'll show you my list of questions and you'll see how funny it is that you answered them all before I asked them. <laughs> I think maybe a bit of telepathy, you know, I think, um, I think experienced writers and experienced readers are so used to sharing the books that are important to them both without necessarily mm. ever having met or even spoken directly to them. I think we all develop a bit of telepathy in this, uh, in this world of stories. And I think um, possibly that's been happening with us today, Sarah. But thank you. It's been a really lovely um, chance to, to have this conversation. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. And for everyone who's listening, you can order your copy of Always, as well as all the previous books in the Felix series, as well as all the amazing books in Morris Gladstone's backlist from your local bookstore or online at Booktopia. Thanks for listening and never stop for reading. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia. Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au